Well, good morning. This is a, uh, a just a great privilege to be able to be here to actually begin our Bible faculty series. Normally, in past years, <clears throat> we've done this in the spring. But when Dr. MacArthur met with us, he asked if uh, there was a way we could do this in the fall and the spring. And so we're really happy, Joe. Thank you for putting all that together that we could do that. Well, as uh, Harry said, uh, the theme is life on life, and uh, I have to say that, and many of you, I mean, most of you are, are a lot younger, but I would say that you have all had experiences, you've all had circumstances come into your lives, and uh, as I have, uh, we've all had those, some, some have had more than others, and some have been very painful, some have been very joyous, um, but you've had circumstances, and I can remember some very painful ones, my first wife passing away a number of years ago, one of the most painful experiences I've ever, I've ever uh, gone through. However, I'd have to say that probably the thing that has transformed my life the most, um, experiences do. They transform your life. But the thing over and over, year after year, that has transformed my life is the Word of God. I wish that I would have known then what I know now about the Word of God. I wish I would have loved God when I was your age as much as I love Him now in the Word. So I'd like to take you to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Will you open there with me? And I'd like to uh, take us through two verses and just uh, maybe try to encourage you as you're going, as you're beginning life here, as you're, um, as Harry said, in probably the greatest season of Christian growth that you may ever have. Maybe just a thought here about what Paul wants to tell us. As we come to the 12th chapter, and many of you have read through Romans, many of you have studied Romans, so it's not an unfamiliar book. I think it's one of the, uh, the most impactful books in all the Bible. Some have said chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. I wouldn't disagree with that. Romans is a fabulous book, and this is a major division in the book when we come to chapter 12. For 11 chapters, he's been focusing on doctrine and theology. He opened chapter 1, and then he began a, a marvelous discourse in the first three chapters on depravity, showing so clearly that everyone is depraved, everyone is sinful. The Gentiles in chapter 1, the Jews in chapter 2, and if that wasn't enough, he, he summarized it again with everyone in chapter 3. And then he comes up with the answer. And of course, you all know the answer. And I trust you've all embraced the answer, justification by faith, that we are declared righteous by God through faith, by grace through faith, chapters 3 and 4. 
And then in chapter 5, 8, 8 is that sanctification section where he tells us who we are. We're new people. Yes, we do struggle in chapter 7, but we have an indwelling Holy Spirit in chapter 8, so there is always victory, always victory. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he wants to uh, express his thoughts related to the Jews particularly, and so he talks about them and their relationship to the gospel. And then he comes to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, he begins, and I want to read the two verses for you. He says, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he begins the, the two verses by saying, therefore. And you always ask why therefore is therefore. And it's because of the first 11 chapters. Therefore, as a result of those, I urge you, brethren. He doesn't command them. He doesn't uh, demand Rather, he urges, he pleads, he begs. And uh, the word is a word that um, means to come alongside. It's a very endearing word. It's a, it's a word of gentleness and affection. And he is, he is uh, demonstrating that to these Roman readers, whom, by the way, he's never been there. He doesn't know most of them. Some he does, but most of them he doesn't know, but he has a great affection for them because they are believers. And so he beseeches them, he pleads with them. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit as our comforter. So it's a very endearing word. And he says, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and the mercies of God are simply all the mercies that God has given us in the first 11 chapters. Mercy literally means the pity of God. And after looking at our condition, he has pity for us, and he has, has given us all of these mercies. Listen as I read to you a selection of the mercies from the first 11 chapters. There's love. There's grace. There's the Holy Spirit, there's peace, faith, comfort, power, hope, patience, kindness, glory, honor, righteousness, forgiveness, reconciliation, sanctification, justification, security, eternal life. Freedom, resurrection, sonship, intercession. And that's just a selection of all the mercies that he has given us. So Paul is saying to the Romans and to us, I urge you, therefore, brothers, as a result of the first 11 chapters, by those mercies to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, the word present 
uh, goes back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it's the idea of laying an animal, the sacrificial animal, upon the altar for various sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offering, whatever it was. You laid the animal on the altar and you did whatever you needed to do to that animal. So it's the idea, literally, of putting somebody on the, on the altar at someone else's disposal. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He says, as you put the animal's body on the altar, so you put yourself upon the altar of God, because of all that God has done in mercy for you and all that Christ has done in paying for your sin. You see, we are presenting our bodies in thankfulness. And our bodies, when it says to present your bodies, that's just who we are. That's our, our person. It's our mind and our will and our emotions. It's everything about us. It's just our person. We are presenting ourselves to God. And what that means is you and I, we need to lay ourselves on the altar. And we should consciously pray that we can do that every, every day. We ought to say to God, Lord, you know, in the morning, we ought to say, Lord, I just want to lay myself on the altar. I want to be used by you today. You use me as you will, but I just want to be on the altar. Because most of the time, we're not on the altar. But we want to just be there. We just want to put ourselves on the altar. And notice what he says. He says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And notice, um, he's not saying a dead sacrifice. You know, all the animals that were placed on the altar in the Old Testament were dead. But now he's saying, I don't want you to kill yourself. I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. He wants this to be holy. And only a holy sacrifice then is acceptable to God. So he wants us to be on that altar. You know, many times in churches today, people come to church. Maybe this has been you in the past. Maybe for some of you it, it could be present today. You come to church because you think you'll be more pleasing to God, more acceptable to God. Maybe you go to a Bible study, maybe you have devotions, maybe you even get involved in the church because you think that you'll get closer to God by doing all of that. So you're doing it in order to get something. Wrong motive. When Paul says, put yourselves on the altar, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you need to give, not get. Because when you're on the altar, you aren't getting anything you're giving everything to the lord and saying use me as you will just use me as you will and i think that's one of the great struggles today is people think that they're going to get something when the real goal of the christian life is to give something and guess what we're supposed to give us that's who we give we give us lay ourselves on the altar and we say God just use me as you will today 
just use me as you will. That's spiritual sacrifice. And notice, as we go through this, it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, all those mercies, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, because that's what's acceptable. That's the only thing acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is the only proper conclusion that we should come to as a result of what God has done for us. We don't do it because if we, because we think God will get us if we don't. We do this because we're thankful to him for everything that he's done for us. I think of Psalm 116, verse 12, which says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Now, there's no way we'll ever be able to to equally repay God or equally uh, return what he's done for us. But we do need to give ourselves as a living sacrifice and let him use us as we should. What's your innermost desire in your heart? If you think about it, what do you really desire? It should be to give of yourself for his honor and for his glory. And this is the type of action, this is the type of sacrifice that really is the basis then of all true worship because it says, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what are you giving today? What kind of sacrifice are you making? Is it in the area of finances? Is it in the area of time? Is it in the area of things, possessions? Is it in the area of missions, service, hospitality, spiritual gifts? What are you giving? What, what, what do you want to, what are you sacrificing? Lu Fook, F-O-O-K, a Chinese Christian, wonderful, godly man, over a hundred years ago, moved with compassion for his own countrymen when they were taken to South Africa as coolie slaves. He became a coolie slave, and when he died as a slave, he had won over 200 other slaves to Christ. Well, we're not going to necessarily go to, down to South Africa and be a coolie slave. We might not even go to, on a missions trip. We might not be missionaries but we can still sacrifice ourselves, can't we? And this holy sacrifice is a set-apart sacrifice. And this is the only thing that's acceptable to God. And that is true worship. Many of you may think uh, that worship was when we just sang a couple of songs. And that was wonderful. I love those, those particular songs that were sung, particularly the second one. That's one of my favorites. And that is worship. We're worshiping right now. When you walk out of here, whether you go to class, you go to the cafeteria, you go to work, you go to the dorm, wherever you go, you're going to be worshiping. When you're in class, you're worshiping. When you're playing Frisbee, you're worshiping. When you're going somewhere, you're worshiping. Worship is 24-7 and if we're on the altar, 
and we're saying, use me as you will, we're worshiping 24-7. And that's, that's what's acceptable to God. Now remember, he's telling us this because of all the mercies that he has given us. Now the question might be raised, some of you might be, be thinking, okay, how do I specifically do this? Or how is this really um, done? Well, I'm glad you asked, because verse 2 tells us. And it says in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the first word is don't be conformed by this world. It is a uh, present tense verb, which means that it is constant. It's something that we continually do, not be conformed by this world. And it is passive, which means that the world is conforming you into its mold. Literally, it's the act of an individual that assumes an outward expression of some kind that's not conforming to who he is in Christ, who we are. As Christians, it's not representative of our inner heart life. Stop assuming, he says, an outward expression which is patterned after the world. Could be habits, mannerisms, dress, style of living, anything that's alienated or apart from God. He says, don't be conformed to that. Don't let the world mold you. Don't be consumed by that. Rather, he says, our, our purpose is to be in fashion with Christ, to draw attention. Now, that doesn't mean everybody that comes across our path is going to be uh, wanting to know Christ, but we are going to be people in which people that come across our path are going to know there's something different about us. We want to attract people. We don't want to be so worldly that, uh, that we don't attract people at all. We don't want to be so other, the other side, where we're almost like culturally anorexic, where there is nothing. I mean, that doesn't attract people either. So how are we being conformed by the world? Now, we are at, at uh, salvation, and some of you are newly saved you know, within the last few months, which is absolutely wonderful. So we're here, you know, and here's, here's like our Christian life, and we're saved here, and then the process for the rest of our life is the transformation, which I'll be talking about, and less confirmation. So we're being less conformed to the world and more transformed by the renewing of our mind. We'll never reach perfection, not this side of heaven, but we get closer. That's the idea. So when it talks about don't be conformed, what is it that's hindering you from being on the altar? What's in, what what is, is stopping you or hurting you from being the Christian that you could be. What is it? The other side of it 
is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this speaks of a person who changes his outward from what he used to be to what God wants him to be, to an inner uh, self, an expression that comes from the inside. Again, the word is present, so we're continually not being transformed and continually being, or not being conformed and continually being transformed. So again, it's that process of movement. And as I said at the very beginning, I wish I had known this when I was your age. I didn't know it till a lot later. You guys have the opportunity to start that process of transformation at a young age and think what will happen in 30, 40, 50, whatever, however many years the Lord will allow you to live. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. Now, the interesting word, uh, the interesting thing about the word transformed is it's a, it's a familiar word to many of you. It's the Greek word where we get the word metamorphosis. And that's the word transformed, is from a form of the word metamorphosis. And that's the idea, you know, of the caterpillar uh, metamorphosing into the butterfly. A couple of good examples on that. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 17, we look at one example of this word being used, and it has to do with the um, transfiguration. And in verse 1 of Matthew 17, it says, And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That's the same word. Same word that's used in Romans 12, too. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. In other words, the Lord appeared to them in such a way and in such a form that Peter, James, and John had some kind of an impression of his inner nature. We also read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, another well-known verse, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, same word, into the same image from glory to glory, just from the Lord the Spirit. Just as Moses' face was shining as he came down from the mountain, having those tablets because he had met God, our faces, in a sense, need to be shining, demonstrating the glory of the Lord in our lives. So we're to change our outward expression from something that we had prior to salvation to an expression that comes from our totally renewed nature. Just as the world conforms you to God, against God, I should say, it is the mind that transforms you to be more like God. And notice it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it is the mind that needs to be removed, renewed. 
Now, notice also that it says that we need to renew our minds. That means we once had a mind and lost it. And now we're trying to get our minds back. Well, that happened at the fall. And now we're renewing our mind. The mind needs to be restored. And, and you need to realize that it is the mind that transforms us. It's not behavior. The mind changes behavior. The behavior does not change the mind permanently. But it's the mind that has to change the behavior. Now, what's the only thing that can change the mind? There's only one thing, and that's this, the Word of God. There's nothing else. This is what changes the mind. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 1 Timothy 4.6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine. You see, it's the renewal of the mind that's going to transform us and move us this way and make us less conformed to the world. So we need to know the Word of God because that will help us to understand who we are. It'll help us to understand who others are. It'll help us to understand who the world, what the world is. It'll help us to understand who God is. There's no substitution. I've said this many times in classes, but not all of you have heard it, but you realize that there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. If you read three chapters a day, you could read the entire New Testament in three months. Now ask yourself, if you read through three chapters a day and you read through the New Testament in three months, do you think that God would begin that transforming process of renewing your mind and moving away from the world? And the answer is, yeah, he would. So then start the next three months and do it again. Do you realize you could do it four times in a year? I do that. And as I said at the beginning, there has been nothing that has, that has helped my process of transformation to where I am today than reading the Word every day. Being in the Word every day. There's no substitute. Now, you could also be rather aggressive if you wanted and read three chapters in the Old Testament every day. There's 929 of them, and you could be done in October. So you'd read through the entire Bible and the New Testament four times. Do you think that God would be transforming your mind if you did that? And the answer is absolutely yes. I am a big proponent that we need to be in the Word every day. Not just to do it as a duty, 
I remember uh, Dr. MacArthur saying at his anniversary, he says, I, I don't, I don't deal, deal with devotions because people that do that, they just do it and then they go off. And that's absolutely right. But when you do it and you say, I want to get to know who God is. I want to read. I'm not doing this. I, I don't ever do it. This is not my study. I'm just doing it because I want to know who God is. I want to I understand more about who he is. And I'm always trying to pick out things about his attributes and truths about him as I'm reading the word. And it's so important that we renew our mind. I've been doing this now for over 30 years. It has been the one thing that I can categorically say has transformed me. Circumstances, sure. We'll all go through those. But it's that daily intake of the word of God. And there's no substitute. Ask yourself these questions. If you're growing in Christ, then there ought to be a yes to these next four questions. Do you have a greater love for God than you did six months ago? Now, some of you have been Christians less than six months. So do you have a greater love for God from the day of your salvation or others of you than the last six months? Ask yourself, do you love God more? Do you have a greater love for the word than you did six months ago? Do you want to get into the word? Now, I realize that if you were to start something like this, that the enemy would certainly try to attack you, that you might do it as a duty to start with. I have it in, I require it in two of my classes. And I know that some of them are doing it because they have to do it for an assignment. But my point in doing this is not that it's just an assignment, but it gets past the duty to the passion. Because it's my passion. And it will become a passion if you keep pressing through every day. Third question. Do you have a greater love for other Christians than you did six months ago? Greater love for other believers. Fourthly, do you have a greater hatred for your sin than you did six months ago? You know, the word is going to help you get there to all four of those questions. Because the word is transforming. It renews your mind. And then he says that you may prove what the will of God is. Everybody wants to know God's will. Well, guess what? Here's one. You know, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, it's God's will that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2 says, it's God's will that you submit to authorities. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. Yeah, you want to know what God's will is? Well, why not learn the word? Because then you'll know what God's will is. And isn't it interesting that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect? 
God's will is good because Romans 28, 28 says all things do work together for good. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that acceptable means that even Christians begin to like God's will. Sometimes, you know, after you've come to Christ, we tend to sort of rebel at what he says we need to do or not to do. But, you know, as we grow in our Christian walk, we want to do just what he wants to do. I think of that famous passage in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what most people focus on? The desires of your heart. They want the desires of their heart. And they forget they have to delight themselves in the Lord. And the more you delight yourself in the Lord, the more your desires are his desires. Or his desires, your desires. So we like it. 1 John 5, 3, great passage, says God's commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. We will like them. And then, for, and then finally, God's will is perfect. Absolutely perfect. So do you want to know God's will? Renew your mind. And I would challenge you today. I would challenge every one of you that if you're not in the Word regularly, and I don't mean just for doing an assignment, but if you're not getting to know the God of the Bible regularly and having time with Him regularly, it's going to be a lot harder for you when you leave here. Oh, you'll, you'll get by now because there's so many things that are instructing you, whether it be Bible classes, chapels, church, uh, dorm, whatever. But what happens when you leave here? And if you don't have that daily intake with the Lord, temptations are going to really get greater. And I challenge you, this is the greatest season for you guys. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Let's pray. Lord, your word is great. Your word is good. Your word is absolutely perfect. Father, help us to learn from it. Help us to be in it. Help us to love it. Father, we just, we just want to be more conformed to your image. We want to be more transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to be able to be on that altar we want to be able to be used as an instrument by you. Help us to do that, Lord. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.